You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Hey, music fans. Thanks for checking out Modern Musicology. My name is Alan. Let me introduce you to some of my best friends. We have got DJ and journalist Rob Levy. Sup, kids. Drummer, singer, songwriter Stephanie Seymour. Hi, everybody. And international man of mystery, Anthony Williams. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you may be. Welcome to year three of Modern Musicology. I can't even believe we've got this far. Not only that, but this week is our episode number 100. Holy cow. So we thought we would do something fun this episode, and we thought it would be kind of neat to have our audience interview us. So we pitched around for questions submitted by listeners and we've got quite a few really really good ones that we're gonna see how many we can get to in this one episode i think it's gonna be a lot of fun we are gonna kick it off with one from a a good friend of mine from here in atlanta this is kim mcgibney and i thought this would be a good one to start us off with i think this is gonna be a lot of fun what's the first band or performer that you were a real fan of Who wants to kick that one off? I can say so fast. Mine is the police and the Go-Go's because I saw them together at the same show. So that was, that hooked me right away. Nice. Yeah. Anthony, how about you? If I'm thinking like absolute obsession, going to go with Iron Maiden. Hey, he's got the shirt on. Oh, and you wore the shirt to represent. You know, I wasn't even thinking about it when I put the shirt on, but... You know, I think when I was maybe 12, 13 was when The Wicker Man came out, and that really hit uh, my cerebral cortex, and I couldn't get it out of my head. It became a real earworm, and that started a, I don't know, three-year quest to get all of their albums because I was a kid and didn't have money to buy albums every week. (laughs) And yeah, I would say they were my first real obsession. Nice. I had listened to lots of records up until probably my freshman year of high school, just lots of different things. I kind of listened. I was one of those people listened to the radio more and just was like various singles by various bands and things like that. Um, then the juice bar I went to one night, probably somewhere between 1030 and 1115 at night. in I believe November of 1984, um, they played the 12 inch single for West End girls, uh, which is much better than the single. So from then on out, my stickishly depraved obsession about the Pet Shop Boys began, followed closely by, weirdly, my equally great obsession with Echo and the Bunnymen, um, which happened shortly after, until I met Ian McCulloch, and then it kind of like, well, don't meet meet your heroes. Nice. Well, as I'm sure people who have listened to the show for a while probably already know (laughs) that mine is Kiss. Yeah. And it was 1975. It was when the live version of Rock and Roll All Night became a top 40 hit. And I heard it and I really liked it. I wasn't quite on board yet. The following year, Beth became a big hit. And I was like, "Mm, that's okay. It's very different from the first one. And it was 1977. I got the album Love Gun given to me for my birthday. And that changed everything. That was the first real album that I owned, other than those like dumb old KTEL top 40 hit collection kind of records. I had some of those, but this was the first actual album that I owned. And I started to really like the songs. I taught myself how to play drums listening to that album. So yeah. it really changed everything. Yeah. That's like the go-go's and I learned to play drums to that, right? Beauty yeah. and beat. So yeah, when you learn an instrument to something like that too, it's even more ingrained in your brain. And so did Questlove. Oh yeah, that's, that's right. right. <laughs> that's right. Sat down and learned all of Gina's licks from the yep. album. That's right. Totally. 
All right. Question number two comes from Renee Lobu. Did yeah. I say that right? Yes, you did. Renee Lobu. Lobu. Okay. From a great band called Elk City. We love them so much, Bob and I. Oh, I played them. Oh, you did? Awesome. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, cool. I know who they are. Cool. Yeah. And Renee would like to know, she would like for each of us to name our three dream guests. Renee, I couldn't stick to three. I had to do five because I just couldn't narrow them down. But I have five really good ones, I think. I got Pat Benatar, Paul McCartney, and or Nancy Wilson. I'll, I'll take either one, <laughs> or preferably both. Stevie Nicks and Linda Ronstadt. Wow. And then I kind of had three runners up because I feel like I, I wanted to put some people who weren't maybe music guests, but people who love music, but that I love too. So John McEnroe, Conan mm. O'Brien, and Will Arnett, because they're all, they all love music and they're such fans, but they're all, I think they're all cool people that would be a great guest. All right. I'll get to work on all of those. Please do. Okay, cool. Well, my first one's not going to be a surprise. I've been vocal about it in the past and that's Stephen Wilson. Right. He is the dream guest for me. I'm going to cheat and count two people as one because they are a duo, and that's Ron and Russell Mail. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah of course. Amazing. And Rob looked very put out. <laughs> He's checking it off his list. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and then just to kind of take it back to uh, a linked one to the first one, Gavin Harrison. I would love Gavin Harrison as well mm -hmm. to hear about how he approaches drumming. He's done so many genres. I, I would love to. There are so many questions I would want to ask him about how he plays, his style, his just his tightness on the drums. Just yes, please. Yes, please. I could find an hour, a way to make an hour long conversation about technical drumming, despite knowing nothing about technical <laughs> drumming myself. <laughs> so those are probably my three. Since we since we have had one of his bandmates on our show, maybe that can be an end for us. Maybe. Ooh. Either of the Sparks Brothers or both would be fantastic. Although I think Anthony and I would just be in a state of shock the entire time and be rendered useless. So I'm going to start with uh, Johnny Marr, uh, just because he's done so much interesting guitar that work. That would be and so cool. Not even necessarily talking about the Smiths, just his stuff outside the Smiths is great. He's got a book out right now about his guitars. Yes, he does. And just the, uh, not to add to Alan's already, uh, bulging collection of music books but the way he talks about each guitar you know is pretty incredible um so i'm gonna have him on there also um this is kind of kind of a cheat because i've i've talked to him before and i know he'd be fantastic but i want to talk to him in a longer format if that makes sense mm -hmm. uh and that'd be rob sheffield uh who we won't hold working for rolling stone against him because he has nothing to do with their lists <laughs> but uh his book on the beatles is great his book on bowie's great his general stuff that he does for Rolling Stone is solid. You know, he wrote a really great uh, book about his his girlfriend dying, Love in a Mixtape. He wrote a book on Duran Duran, too, talking to girls about Duran Duran. So, yeah, he's got a lot of interesting stuff we could talk to there. This is also a bucket list for people I want to see live that I've never seen. But that would be Suggs from Madness, whose songs are very much uh, funny and upbeat, but they're also very entrenched in sort of like the everyday history of, of England and, and things like that. So I'm, as a history person, there's a lot of that kind of stuff tied into that. Roddy Frame from Aztec Camera, just because I have loved Aztec Camera since I was a mm, kid. Yeah. And uh, we have to represent Scotland in some way, shape or form. And his his lyrics are great. You know, um, acoustically, he's pretty sharp and he kind of hasn't done a whole lot lately, but I'm putting him on there. And then the last one who's probably the most realistic person we could get um, <laughs> just because the amount of people he's worked with and the huge body of work that he's done. I would love to talk to Niall Rogers. Oh, wow. So, that would yeah. be a biggie. Because he's worked literally with everybody. And as we move away from the disco era, farther and farther away, people are beginning to appreciate Chic more musically as as artists. They're not just sort of a knockoff of that time. So I think he'd be great. Before Alan goes, can I jump in and veto Suggs because he's a Chelsea fan? <laughs> oh, I mean, I, I would do that too, but still. That's funny. Well... I've got one that kind of crosses over with Stephanie. I bet nobody would ever guess that Nancy Wilson would be one of my dreams. Yeah, I would guests. never guess. Never have guessed. No. Surely never. not. No. <laughs> um, I would also love to get 
Bruce Kulick, who was in Kiss during the 80s and early 90s in the non-makeup era, That's which is actually one of my favorite eras of Kiss. And he is just an incredible... I've had a couple of little interactions with him, and he's a super nice guy. And I may just email him and just ask him. Do it. I know, right? Martin Popoff, who is a writer and author of numerous music books that I have really, really enjoyed. And I think he would have a lot of really great stories to tell. The impossible one that I would never, ever think would ever fall into our laps. And that would be Kate Bush. But oh my gosh, what a dream. I took him off my list just because I figured he, uh, she would be on yours. (laughs) And, and I'm going to say one last one. I say, Renee Lobu from the band yes! Elk City. <laughs> I know. Totally. We have to, we should get them on really. Yeah. Renee, if you or any of your band members would like to come on our show, we would love to have you on. Yes. So there you go. You are now on our list of dream guests. Okay. We're going to invite them. There you go. Alan, if we ever do get Bruce Kulick, it would be really funny to exclusively ask and speak about the Michael Bolton albums he was on. Yes, absolutely. Just ignore Kiss completely. Focus on Bolton. <laughs> right. Okay, we have one here from Mark Zadroga. And his question is, what are the five weirdest or worst gigs you ever played? Or for those of us not in a band that you ever attended? Stephanie, I know you've got some weird gigs. I I did. I think he said top three, but I only I only just picked two because I, I think people have heard my stories enough. But they are Definitely the two gigs that the Aquanet has opened for in Texas, we opened for Meat Beat Manifesto and Nine Inch Nails. And they were just hard gigs because it was totally just the bill was all wrong. <laughs> and we it, the air conditioner was not working in the middle of July in Texas. And we just got you know, it was like we were in England in the punk scene. Like we got spit on, we got bottles thrown at us. It was just like the worst. <laughs> So that was horrible. And then the the other gig that was just one one of the most outstandingly bad shows, not that we played poorly or anything, it was we we got put on to this like metal show because, <laughs> you know, we were so metal. And um, that really went just over like a lead balloon. But the worst part of it was that we had a guarantee for that gig. And when Claudine went to get the money, the office, the owner of the club refused to pay her. And when she insisted that we had a guarantee, he pulled out a gun from a desk drawer and put it on the table and just said, no, you're not getting your money. And so she walked outside and was crying and we were like, what the hell fuck happened? And that's what happened. So we didn't get paid for that awful experience. So that was pretty bad. Those two things were, those two shows were bad. (laughs) I actually don't have that many weird gigs in my past, but I used to be in a band called Axiom. It was a Christian band back in central Florida, and we were kind of a hard rock band. We were you know, kind of heavy. We did mostly originals. We did some covers of some Christian bands, and we did like Carry On Wayward Son by Kansas, but we were kind of a, a heavy sound. And I don't even know how this happened, but we got booked one time to play an older, like a like a retirement home (laughs) of mostly African-American older ladies. It was so (laughs) wacko. But so we come out there and we're doing our shtick, you know, we're doing our like, you know, heavy rock stuff. (laughs) And they're like, just looking at us like we're from Mars. But by the end of it, we totally bonded with these people and just had the most lovely night ever. So it started out really bizarre, but we just, we made so many really sweet friends that night and it was, it ended up being a lot of fun. Yeah. How about weird shows that you guys have seen? So I really only have two and neither were necessarily weird for the band. Uh, I think when I saw Bloody Wood at uh, the new masquerade in Atlanta, the biggest problem was the sound desk just decided they were going to make it as loud as possible and I didn't have earplugs with me. And so it was at times inaudible and particularly the support bands where I didn't know the songs, I couldn't really make out what was being played. That's so annoying. That was one. And the other one, it was at the old Masquerade. And I went to see a band with some friends called the Bastard Sons, and that's Sons, S-U-Ns. They were a punk band. 
not quite my thing. And in the mosh pit or what have you, I put out my hip. So if you know the old masquerade, there's a kind of bar a little further away. And I, I got, I sat down at the bar to kind of rest and wait for my friends so we could all leave together because they were my ride. And I know I'm like 24, 25. And this lady who must have been about 60 starts chatting me up at the bar. <laughs> it was just so surreal. And at the end, she's like, hey, um, can I kiss your cheek? And I'm so weirded out. But I'm just Aww. like, sure. <laughs> and the bartender who's witnessing this entirely awkward, and, and I was married at the time, I'm going to add that. So <laughs> the bartender who's seeing this in incredibly awkward exchange of me trying to be incredibly polite to this woman who is nearly three times my age chatting <laughs> me up. She is behind the bar just busting out laughing. It was a very, very weird evening. <laughs> Love that. All right, Rob. April of 1988. Uh, the very first band I interviewed was Men Without Hats. For the sake of privacy, I will not discuss the shenanigans I saw on the tour bus, but uh, that was my introduction to the true rock and roll lifestyle. <laughs> and I think Jason Bonham was the drummer at that point for them. And he was wearing a giant snowman outfit and playing drums. <laughs> And uh, as I'm sure you, Alan, and Steph can attest to, it is very hard to play drums when you are dressed like a giant snowman. Mm. Never tried it, but I'm assuming it would be a difficult thing to do. There's comes a times when bands should just say it's over. And that sort of revival with Men Without Hats was kind of one of them. God, they were horrible. So there's that. I would say it was free, so I don't feel bad about losing any money. And then I got the inner... Steph, you can understand this a little bit, but... Sometimes uh, record label people would come into your town to see a band and kind of have to see them because they're like, oh, we're, well, the reps come to the show and you, yeah. they send you millions of free things and you want to go. And plus it's free booze and free food. So um, I went with the Interscope rep to go see Marilyn Manson in a very small bar. And I interviewed him ahead, uh, before the show. The entire time he had a flashlight that he was shining in his eyes and then in mine. What? And then he was like doing little circles with it. And it was just. He was on ecstasy, I bet. It was <laughs> I, just. I say that from possible experience. I, it was just <laughs> weird. Um, you know, we got the interview done. It's in my fanzine that we put out years ago. Huh. He spoke coherently clear sentences. Kind of lost me when he said they were better than Sabbath. I'm like, no, no, you're not. It was just weird. And then the. Lollapalooza that L7 played. I think the Jesus and Mary chain was on that bill. I think I was getting ready to go interview the Jesus and Mary chain and I was backstage and the girls from L7 walked by and I said, hi. And the Warner rep introduced me to them. I said, hello. I talked to him for a little bit and then I'm talking to one of them. And then all of a sudden I have this piercing pain in my neck because the drummer bit me. What? Ew. So that is my L7 story. Oh. And Marilyn Manson is not better than Black Sabbath. I don't care what you say. Even <laughs> I know that. That's important knowledge to have. All right. Our next question. We have two questions, actually, from our good buddy, Eric Sensava, who we hear from on a regular basis and are always happy to get questions and comments from. The first question is a, a really easy one. He was asking about the theme song. Is it a song that one of us wrote or recorded? It was it an existing song that someone chose. I can give you the answer super quick because it's a really boring answer. I used to do a lot of video editing at my job for virtual content, and we had a place where we got lots of just free production music that, you know, is royalty free. Anybody can use it. And I used a lot of different pieces in the videos that I edited. So this was the one that I was familiar with from that and just thought, oh, this would be great for our show. When I first started my YouTube show, that was what I used. And then when we launched our podcast here, that it just carried over. So that's the answer to that one. Boring. But his big question is, and this is going to be a fun one. I'm looking forward to hearing the answers to this. He is asking about modern musicology, the blockbuster movie, the epic tell-all biopic about a man and his friends who took a stand when corporate Sirius XM radio eliminated his favorite talk station and created a podcast, and that podcast rise to international fame and household name recognition. 
of course, all leading to the climactic scene where they are honored at the annual Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts Ceremony, the same year that Taylor Swift and Sparks are. So his question is, what actor or actress that the general public will, will know should play each of you in the film, but you don't get to choose your own casting. One of your colleagues has to choose for you. I just have to say, Eric, wow. <laughs> this is going to be fun. Yeah, that's a great question, dude. All right, I'm going to need a little bit of a time machine for this because I need this person's vibe at a specific part of their career for Stephanie. Okay. So I need Jamie Lee Curtis, circa 2003. Oh, okay. Like the look, the personality, the vibe, like think Freaky Friday. Yes. yes. That, that's Steph. Yay, Freaky Friday. Yeah. <laughs> And she has to dye her hair red or pink or Didn't something. Didn't she have, uh, I think she had red hair in that movie. So, yeah. Oh, did she? Oh, okay. I don't remember that. Okay. Well, there you go. She's ready exactly. made. Exactly. Jamie Lee Curtis will play okay. Stephanie. All right, Stephanie, who, this who is, are you Okay, so I'm casting Rob. And it, it came to me very quickly because this might not make sense like when I first say it, but I'll explain. I picked Bill Murray, uh -oh. and this is why. You know how Bill oh. Murray sort of is known for like appearing everywhere and doing everything? Well, that is Rob <laughs> to a T. Like every time yeah. I turn around, Rob has a new project in the works. He's got a ball in the air. Over here, he's juggling 17 things. You know, he, he's got like, if you look at your if you look at Rob's Facebook page, he's checking into like a museum, a concert, a, you know, a gig. And then he's writing a review for an opera. So so oh he's like God. omnipresent, just like Bill Murray. Also, Rob, every time you, we have a conversation, you will say something that will just have me on the floor laughing, like out of the blue. So like kind of Bill Murray, like that dry sense of humor. So I feel like Bill Murray. Nice. Can we add the caveat that no one has accused me of sexual misconduct? I think that's a very important Oh, God. Thing. Is that something <laughs> that he, I did not know that about Bill Murray? Okay. Well, yes, we're going to add that. I'm caveat. just saying. Okay. Yeah, just saying. I don't want the network censors to no. come after me. No. <laughs> I, Rob, you are everywhere. I, I'm mm -hmm. beginning to think you're actually prestiging us, and there is actually a, a twin or a double you know. of you out there. Yeah, he's got like clones. You know, doing some of this stuff. Right no. on. Uh, it's uh it's it's adhd that's all it is is adhd and boredom um so yeah all right rob who you cast uh, so i have to say that um i did not intend trying to cast alan to turn into like a five-hour exercise of oh, trying to figure things out because there were actors in my head that i couldn't remember their names and their faces or where i'd seen them and then i was trying to figure out different sorts of things and I settled upon Hugh Jackman. And I don't oh. necessarily mean like Wolverine Hugh Jackman or like Ugh. aggro Will Jackman or Hugh Jackman, right? But when you watch Will um, Hugh Jackman do these interviews, he has this very sort of droll, everyday man sort of conversation. And he also does the thing that Alan does. Alan sometimes when he talks, he'll move his shoulder to one way or the other sort of as he's talking. And I noticed that <laughs> Hugh Jackman does that as well. Um, oh God! But he also sort of has that sort of like every man sort of likability, um, and he's talented and and likes you know does lots of different things. So that's kind of where I was coming from. I like it. Wow, that was a narrow race with Edward Norton, but that was more based on looks, um, and sort of yeah. the whole like kind of swagger thing. But I ended up going for Hugh Jackman. So. I ain't got no swagger. You have a swagger. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Swagger. Other than the shoulder <laughs> thing, apparently. <laughs> All right, Alan, who's Anthony? All right. Now, I had a number of people in mind, and, and I had a, a, a pick at the beginning, and I thought, okay, that's, that's kind of where I was heading. But then Anthony's partner, Colleen, suggested Taryn Egerton. <laughs> yeah, I can kind of see that. I mean, I, I see the resemblance without a doubt. I asked our good friend, Julie Philippek, Oh. and she said Daniel Radcliffe. <gasps> Oh really? <laughs> I know, and and I thought, okay, well, I can kind of there, I can kind of see things there. Um, Anthony himself threatened me with bodily harm if I didn't cast him, didn't cast James McAvoy as him. And yes, I do see a similarity there. However, I think I'm going to stick with my original pick because I wanted somebody who is, you know, all of these have been are very good looking guys, and so I think that fits. And I think mine is very good looking. He's charming, 
He's well-spoken. He's kind of posh, but still a little bit snarky. And I have to say that, you know, just like with Rob, Anthony has never been accused of any sexual misconduct. So we're not adding that into the mix. So I am going to go with a young Hugh Grant. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll definitely take that. <laughs> Except without the, the weird Thank stuttering you. and the head nodding when he talks. <laughs> I mean, I do stutter a little bit, I think. Not quite as drastically as Hugh Grant right. did back then. but Cool. Yeah. We got a good movie in the works here. I'm telling you, it's yeah, going to be a blockbuster. All right. Our next question comes from someone that is completely unknown to any of us on this show. And that is a gentleman named Bob Perry, <laughs> which, of course, is Steph's husband and has been a guest on our show a, a number of times. And somebody that we really love and are happy to have joining us on here. His question is, what's the most surprising thing you've learned about a guest or a topic, either doing research or during an interview? I thought of this right away, like it came to me right away, it was when we interviewed Tony Levin. And I learned mm. so much about the, the Chapman stick as an instrument and people oh, yeah. playing it. And I was really like, I kind of really got into that and discovered a lot about that instrument that I, I really had no idea. You know, I just didn't really know about it. And so that was my big kind of learning that's, experience. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. That's a good one. Uh, that kind of was mine too. Just no, I think for that, real? Yeah, that interview was so oh, yeah. broad in, in the things that it covered and the topics. And just we really got an insight into, you know, how he worked in the studio and stuff. Uh, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back to, there's a couple, but I'm gonna go back to Gary Clark just because we know him for the work in the movies. And then we know him for, you know, his band and producing people. But when he was talking about doing musicals, I think that became mm. really fascinating, culminating in the, uh, story about Emma Thompson. And how, you know, he basically, you know, went to go meet Emma Thompson and just sort of the learning sort of the what is involved when you sign on to do music for a musical or a project like that. And just sort of like how that whole thing works, because um, I know how the music industry works and a little bit about how publishing works with, you know, back and forth and stuff. But like the world of musicals yeah. sounds like it's just batshit crazy. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to say that. That's cool. Yeah, it's a good one. I mean, I also had Chapman Stick and Tony Levin. <laughs> wow, that's crazy, guys. Um, so I'm now trying to rack my brain. I, I think learning how wonderfully eccentric Gina oh Shock is gosh. is yes. one of my favorite things ever. She is spectacular. Yep. And I know that kind of thought. I thought I, about I, that too, Anthony, for I, real. Yeah. I want her to be my aunt. I want, you know, you know I, I, I think in her role as den mother to all of us. Um, yeah. I was, I was really impressed with her sense of interior design because <laughs> her house looked, it did not look like the house of a rock star. It looked like the house of someone that was like, yeah, passionate about things, but like, oh, this is my sign Marlena Dietrich, yeah, photo. Yeah. you know, I'm like, oh, well, I don't have that. You know, I stuff like that. I thought was kind of cool. I think that I, I've, I've got a couple, one of them pertains to Gina because when she was doing the fill-in gig for AHA, when they were doing television appearances, I was I was quite floored to learn that they had been asked to appear on Soul Train. That just like, yeah. knocked me out of the park. I was like, why? Why? I mean, I know Bowie had, you know, but that was a different thing. That was him doing a very soul song. The, the AHA song was not very soul. Anyway, but, you know, I thought that was kind of interesting. And the other one is just some of the guests that we have had. You know, like Sleepy Kitty. I didn't yeah. know really anything about them until we started uh, researching them. And I really became big fans. I mean, not only of their music, but of them as people. They're just really, really cool people. Same, totally. So I was I was very thrilled to have had them on. And, and there was a number of other people, too, that I, you know, in the research process, just learned so much about them. But they're the ones that kind of stand out to me that I learned the most about and really was impressed with them as, as people. Yeah, I agree. Now, here's somebody that we haven't heard from in a little while. And 
she used to respond pretty regularly and I, I don't know if she still listens, but she just kind of fell off of the, the, you know, responding to our episodes, but she is making up for that. <laughs> Jessica from Florida has sent five questions. <laughs> now I think we're going to do two of them and we'll see if we can get to the other ones after we clear some of the other questions out. So the two questions from her that we're going to do, what are your, the top three bands or artists that you'd like to see a biopic made about? I only picked two because I could. That's fine. I, yeah. But I, I want really, really want one for Stevie Nicks. I think mm. that would be great. And I was like, well, it's already cast because it's Riley Keough, <laughs> right? Like she's a, I mean, she does basically the, what's the TV show that we, gonna oh, um, um, Daisy Jones. In the set. Yeah. Like, I mean, all right. She's, you know, not exactly playing exactly Stevie Nicks in that, but it's very similar. But so I think Riley, obviously for that, but there's probably, probably plenty of other people that could do that, that role. But, uh, Linda Ronstadt is another person that I would love to see. And I actually heard that there's one in the works and that Selena Gomez might be up for that. I don't oh, wow. know if that's really true or not. I don't know. You know, you read right. these things and then they're never, they never come to fruition, but yeah, I don't know if I'd love that either for her to play her, but <clears throat> Hey, who knows? She could be I think, surprising. I think Selena has the look mm, yeah. and she has a, she has a really good voice, but there's something unique about Linda Ronstadt. And, and, you know, I don't know if you can find somebody who could really yeah. do the vocal job justice. So either she would, somebody would have to mime yes. to Linda records, you know, for performances. I don't know, but that's a, that's, that'd be a tough one. Yeah. I only have one. And it's a predictable one. I, and I've even thought about how I would do it. So it would be about Porcupine mm -hmm. Tree. Nice. And the opening scenes would be at their final gig before they split in 2010. They played the Royal Albert Hall and they came out and did this amazing show that everyone thought was spectacular. And yet behind the scenes, they were barely talking to each other. Mm. And I would use that as kind of the backdrop to then explore kind of how the band came together and how it got to that mm. point. And that's kind of my idea for a, a movie going from this like weird little joke that Stephen Wilson came up with when he was a nobody of making this fake prog band with band member names like Sir Tarquin Underspoon through to actually forming a real band and performing these songs through to headlining the Royal Albert Hall while the band was disintegrating. I think that could be really fun. I kind of had an idea that you might go a Stephen Wilson route with your biopic, yeah. but you went specifically Porcupine Tree. And I think that's a that's kind of a neat angle. I, I think there would have to be a, a focus on Stephen Wilson because it oh, yeah. was his idea and his joke in the beginning. So the other guys would come in as the story unfolds. Um, but I, I'm kind of really in love with the idea of, you know, the movie starting with the huge cheer from the crowd in the Royal Albert Hall and then co them coming off stage and just the tension being palpable and then everything else is told in flashback. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that would be really cool. And then you could ob obviously have a, a bit at the end about them coming back together in 2022. Oh, yeah. You'd have to have. Or 21, whenever it was. <laughs> I lose track. 21. When you when you said that, I, it almost made me think of, you could almost say the same thing about the Smiths, who aren't on my list, but just made me think of that. So my list is kind of weird. Uh, the first would be Giorgio Moroder. Um, That's cool. That's a good one. Just, again, the sheer amount of people he worked with decades and decades. And I'm also a tech nerd, so I'd love to see sort of like just the evolving technology and stuff. Uh, the other one, not quite as weird, but uh, also Brian Eno. Um, just because he's been such an enigma for so long, somewhere in a parallel universe, John Malkovich is playing Brian Eno or something weird or Willem Dafoe or some kind of just crazy thing. And Lynch is making it. <laughs> but yeah, I think Brian Eno would be one just because he's done so many odd and interesting things. And when I say odd, I don't mean it as a bad thing. And obviously all the connections with lots of other things. And uh, the other one would be Duke Ellington, just because he's such a giant in American music and no one's ever really that i've got two the first one and and it's kind of already in the works it's been talked about for a few years now and that's heart and i think that there's a big story there that can be told and an important story that can be told and you know part of her question was who would you cast and 
this is this is going to sound nutty, but because she's a singer, because she's a guitar player, and because she kind of has the look, I would actually cast Taylor Swift as Nancy. Oh yeah, that's a good. That's a good. Real good, I think. That's a good fit. And then my other one is Bowie. And I say that because there was a biopic that came out in 2020 called Stardust. And it was awful. Totally. It was truly awful. And um, whoever the, the filmmaker was did not get the permission from Bowie's family, from the estate, to use any of Bowie's music in the film. So they used sort of sound-alike things, and it was just terrible. And at the time, this was all coming out, and people were kind of questioning about it. Um, Duncan Jones, who is uh, David's son, said that they gave his reasons why they turned down the request to, to use music in this film. But he said there are conditions where someone would get permission to that. And he said specifically, if there was a more like fantasy-esque treatment of it written by Neil Gaiman and animated by the guys who did Into the Spider-Verse, he would greenlight that in no time flat. And that would be and amazing. both Gaiman and the the main guy behind Into the Spider Verse both responded and said, "We're in." Wow. So I, I mean, you know, that's so yeah. unofficial. That was all on Twitter, but I, I, I just hold out hope for that kind of thing to be done because I think that could be amazing. Yeah, um, I was going to put Joe Strummer on mine, but there's a Joe Strummer movie coming. No, oh, yeah. Um, there's also, I think, uh, a, Donna, a Donna Summer movie coming. So yeah. a couple of those things I had to take off my list, too. Yeah. Okay. Our next question comes from Kendra and Nicole. Kendra's are... my best friend. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that fun? Mm-hmm. Now, they would like to know, you can mm-hmm. perform any one song with any band or artist, dead or alive, playing any instrument, whether you can play that instrument or not in real life. In any venue, at any moment in time, past, present, or future, what song, what band, what instrument, and in what venue would you do this? I totally can I answer this because yeah, of course I, you can. I don't know what like I I couldn't find anything that would top this for me. So it would be me at the Elvis Presley '68 comeback special, singing a duet of "If I Can Dream" with Elvis dressed in that white suit, that all white suit. And so it would be in that, it would be obviously like in that venue. That would be like, that would be the top for me. That's amazing. That's a good pick. Thank you. If I can dream. I I, I I can play drums with the Go-Go's, but (laughs) you threw me a curveball. That would be awesome. But just, I think, I don't know, Elvis Presley, you know? Yeah. I can give you an exact date as well as venue. Okay. So, 20th of October, 1994, Urcell's Court, lead guitar, Pink Floyd, comfortably oh, known. Oh, very nice. Man. That's, that's the version from Pulse. And I think that's probably the greatest guitar solo of all time, in my opinion. The emotion and the virtuosity that um that david gilmore was showing on that particular performance was just so good yes so good and i wish i could do that (laughs) (laughs) so i would take david gilmore's place and do that he could still stay on stage and sing i love it no one wants to hear my voice (laughs) i've got a specific time and date as well okay i would play drums of course, in David Bowie's band on the song Heroes at Live Aid, <gasps> because that is by far my favorite Bowie performance ever. It it was so powerful. And it was one of those, it was like the Queen performance. It was one of those moments where the entire stadium was just wrapped up in the performer, in the song, and the way that they responded to that song is just one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. So that's mine. Awesome. I've lucky, been lucky enough to go to most of the musical venues that I've 
I've wanted to go to. I mean, there's a lot of stuff I haven't been to yet, but like I've been to CBGBs, for example, and a lot of places like that. But I would love to, between some point of December of 1927 to June of 1931, played, I guess, drums or trumpet or something in Duke Ellington's band in Harlem. Maybe maybe something like downtown uproar. Yeah, I don't know. But that's that would be quintessential just because the creative genius that came out of that particular club and that particular era and just the sheer vibe um, that it created. I mean, you could argue that the origins of rapid funk came out of, you know, the work that was done by artists at the Cotton Club. Wow. I'm going to interject real quick here that way, way, way back in season two of Star Trek Discovery, there was an episode Mm -hmm. where two things happened. One, um, they had to operate on a one of the crew members and she was super nervous and they were scared. And the doctor says, trying to calm her down, she goes, hey, hey, kiddo, why don't you sing for me your favorite song? And she starts singing Space Oddity by Bowie. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's amazing. But then later in the episode, the engineer gets knocked out. And when she comes to, she's like, oh, man, I just had a dream about I was playing drums in Prince's band. And I was like, oh, my God, this whole episode is just written for me. (laughs) So I almost went with playing drums in Prince's band in the revolution. Um, But Heroes wins out except playing in his band one of the things they tell you when you take the the paisley park tour is that playing in his band was just sheer brutal oh it yes was, it was what um sheila e once called like training for the olympics oh yeah um so i'm not sure i i'd want to sign up for that, I know. <laughs> that and i'd be afraid of failure oh yeah i wouldn't i would totally fail in in our in our dream moments though we wouldn't be failing so it's okay <laughs> well that's true good point All right. Our next question comes from, I I don't have a name. They didn't sign their name in their email. So all I know is the the email handle at Gmail or whatever it was. The email handle is Pirate Hooker. (laughs) So (laughs) Pirate Hooker would like to know, has there ever been a song that you liked better after seeing the music video? Thanks, Pirate Hooker. That's a great question. Who's got one that, I mean, I have one. So anybody else got one that they liked the song after seeing the music video? To me, it was that this was such a hard question that I don't really have one because all, I, I, I really, there was too many that I, in the, especially mm-hmm. in the 80s and, you know, seeing the video, that's how you learned about a song. So I- That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I, don't know. I have a couple, but- Go ahead. So the first thing that comes to mind is Take On Me by Aha. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just because I heard it, I heard the 12 inch single first. And, you know, the obvious comparison at the time was, oh, Duran Duran and things like that. And when you hear the record before you see the video, you don't get the imagery or any of that. And then uh, I think I was probably the last person in the world that ever saw the video. But when I saw the video, I just thought, this is an amazing work of art that syncs with the video really well. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to say that one. The other one was um, we got a copy of the Happy Mondays bummed in at uh, the radio station when I was there. And I'm just like, okay, I get it. But these guys do a lot of drugs. I get it. But, you know, that's where we are. And, um, you know, I knew they were involved in the whole Hacienda Manchester scene and stuff, but it just wasn't quite doing it for me. But then on 120 minutes, they played the video for Wrote for Luck which is truly one of the most bonkers things ever done. It's got Sean Ryder dancing in the Hacienda with babies and small children around him. And it was just so amazingly weird um, that I kind of was hooked. And the, you know, the thing I did like about it is it has this sort of grinding guitar going in it. But at that point, his sort of off-kilter, not-perfect Mancunian voice was kind of like, okay, I get this. And they're not a band that makes great albums. They were a band that made singles. But I think that one was kind of like this moment where I'm sort of like, this is just friggin' weird. And sometimes weird is fantastic. My brain's still churning on this a little bit. It's hard because I, I tend not to watch a lot of music videos these days. I discover most things through Spotify. And if I go back and watch the music video, it's normally because I've heard that the artist is 
uh, very visually talented or or you know they hired a really great director but i already like the song i think sometimes it, it does add just a little a little bit more oomph to the song and i think the most recent example i could come up with is i really always enjoyed the video to weak by skunk and nancy just that whole point where it's taken from the perspective of a cameraman who has died, but died while his camera was filming. So he's on the floor, the camera's at a weird angle, and the band is performing in front of him. And at one point, this kid comes across on like a space hopper and then comes in and looks at the camera. It, I don't know, something about that always appealed to me, I guess, because it was fairly artistic in its approach. But I'd say for the most part, I don't find that music videos really make me enjoy a song more than I already do. Cool. Well, mine is actually a music video that made me appreciate an artist and and like the song more. But it was the artist, really. And this is back when Madonna was first on the scene. And I just didn't think she had, you know, I didn't think she was going anywhere. She was you know, not the greatest singer. They were catchy songs, but I didn't really care for any of them. And I just, I just thought she was a person of limited talent and limited career span. Mm -hmm. And of course that got proved wrong, you know, <laughs> but where I started to change my mind about that was the video for dress you up because it was a concert clip. They were, I guess they were putting out a, like a, a concert film from the Like a Virgin tour. Oh yeah, I totally remember that. Actually. And the yeah, and the single that they released from the concert film was the opening track from the show, which was "Dress You Up." And I loved the performance, and uh, the the song was sung a little bit differently than it was on the record, and it had an energy to it that the I didn't think that the record quite captured. And because of that, I really started to wake up a little bit to Madonna and really started to like that song a lot more. And it's still one of my favorite Madonna songs. Cool. There you go. OK, so my next one comes from a coworker of mine, and that is uh, my, my good friend, Nicole. And she is curious to know, are there any genres you absolutely cannot stand to listen to? <laughs> Country. <gasps> Any and all? Well, no, I'm going to specifically say modern country and what I would describe as bro country. I'm with yeah. you. Yeah. Thanks, but no thanks. I, I quite like classic yeah. country, yeah. the outlaw scene as well. But as soon as we start talking about things like uh, Florida Georgia Line or uh, Jason Aldean, get, get the fuck <laughs> out of here. Get out of here. I'm with you there. And I'm also going to say any... <laughs> Any really super abstract kind of jazz, I just can't. I, I just can't. I'm sorry. Nice. <laughs> um, and really, really formulaic rap. Like, you know, the just stereotypical, like, auto-tuned, really, you know, those beats, whatever that I just, I can't, I just want to hear old school rap and like, you know, that's just my thing. Yeah. So. Jam bands. Damn All day, man. every way. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, we threw a huge party when Jerry Garcia died. Oh. I, I did not know about it. My roommate wow. did. I just walked in and it was oh, going okay. on. What jam band did you hire to play the party? <laughs> we did not. We did not. Also, I guess they call it new metal, which is sort of like that sort of like stained, mindless self-indulgence, corn kind of thing. It's that kind of metal that infuses really bad hip hop with like, stuff that's like more hard rock than metal so i'll say that and i don't really like stuff fusion jazz i just don't get i don't um, get it yeah i don't get fusion jazz that's so funny because i was just listening to mahavishnu orchestra this afternoon <laughs> i can appreciate how great they are it just doesn't make my ear right yeah. when i was young the the techno i grew up with and the techno now are two different things sort of um, so that sort of like formulaic, wordless, fa, uh, soul techno that's out there now, it's kind of ludicrous and stupid. And it's all very repetitive, you know, where they stand there over computers and jump up and down. And <laughs> <laughs> for the longest time, mine was reggae. 
Mm. Like I just had no appreciation for reggae. I didn't enjoy hearing it. And it took a few specific artists to kind of change my mind on that. I'm still not a big reggae fan, but I can certainly appreciate it now more than I did when I was a kid. You know, when I was growing up, I was just like, oh God, this is the worst torture I've ever heard. But I can, I, I can appreciate it now. And that's, I don't know that there's many, much else other than a lot of the current pop scene yeah. is, you know, is so mechanical and it's so, there's a lot of current alt rock bands that I really love, but there's a lot of the top 40 stuff currently that yeah. I just, I mean, it, 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 it's soulless. It, it is, it's completely soulless because I don't think there is a single instrument Mm -hmm. or musician on it it's all programmed and it's all i just don't care for it yeah you know there's some things that'll that'll jump out here and there but generally speaking not my scene all right i think we got time for one more so let's get a, a really easy one um this one comes from dominic mitchell and he says he wonders have any of us ever used a song as a ringtone on our phone? And if so, what was it? And I can answer that quickly. No, I never have. And I don't know why I never have. I just never have. I never have, but I have had the sound of a Swainson's thrush singing like a bird it's called a Swainson's thrush. So that's mm. musical kind of. It is. Yes. <laughs> you know, there's antibiotics for that. <laughs> a Swainson's thrush. Oh God. Wow. Oh dear. Wow. Um, so remember on those like earlier Nokia yep. phones where you could program in your own ringtone and you could go to a website yes. and it would tell you what to put in for a, to mimic a song. In my early teens, as I was kind of discovering uh, what music I liked and kind of riding the, the wave of what was popular among my peers, for a brief minute, I did listen to, sorry, Rob, new metal <laughs> as a genre. And... The guitar line from Papa Roach's Last Resort, the was was my ringtone for about five minutes before I went back to the standard Nokia ringtone. There you go. There's a little confession. That is funny. Oh my gosh. I remember that time. I remember the Nokias and all that kind of stuff. And I had them. I just never, I don't know. I just never did. And I don't know why I never did. But you know. I was like, I guess I just like, I, I found it obnoxious when other people are on the train, on the subway or whatever, and their phone goes off and it's some like really loud, you know, portion of a song. And I was like, ugh. <laughs> so I think that's why I never did it because I didn't want to annoy other people. Who knows? Mine is actually really horrible. It's not, this technically counts because it's not really a cell phone per se. But back in the 90s, we didn't have cell phones, but we had answering machines. And I always kind of used to play around with the music on my answering machine when I lived in Brooklyn for different things. Like if I was seeing a band or something or whatever, I'd put it on. I had a, upon hindsight, gloriously awful fight with my girlfriend at the time. I mean, it was like epic. It spanned five subway cars from, I think, (laughs) Brooklyn to Bronx. There wasn't a knife pulled, but there was a bottle broken and um, lots of things. So that night I went home and I just put girlfriend in a coma by the smiths on my <laughs> on my answering machine wow and yeah she heard it but that is probably the closest i've come to putting a ringtone on my phone <laughs> and i probably learned my lesson because uh the next day she came to the door and slammed it on my hand and yeah. nearly broke it so um that is the lesson of putting things on your answering machine phones kids Around that same time, I had a best friend that had gone off to university and he and his roommate would do that thing, but they would take rap songs and they would write new lyrics to it. And that was their answer phone outgoing message. And one of them was Tone Loke. And the the whole rap led up to the, you know, leave a message and we can do the phone thing. (laughs) That's as close as I got to it. A best friend did it. I never did. All right. Well, I think that's a lot of, we got a lot of good stuff in and we have some other questions that are uh, left over. So I think I might just like pepper those into upcoming episodes. We might end an episode with a listener question. Um, But that was, we got through a pretty good bit of them. We're going to take a very quick break and then we're going to be right back to wrap up our show. So don't go anywhere. Be right back. 
What's new on the 42 cast? Let's ask my co-hosts. We're talking about Doctor Who. Comic book shows and movies. And we're talking about all things Star Trek. (laughs) And so much more. Check us out on Google Play, Stitcher Radio, and iTunes. It's only on the 42 cast. Your ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything. So Nathan, when are we finally talking Babylon 5? All right, we are back. Now, we've got one order of business that we have to take care of, and this is very sad. Anthony, you got an announcement for us. I do, and regular listeners will have noticed that through the end of 2023, it was a bit hit or miss as to whether or not I was actually going to be on the show. And the reason for this, frankly, is I have overcommitted myself. And so I need to take a step back from a few things. And unfortunately, for now, modern musicology is one of those. So I will be taking a hiatus from the show. I haven't quite decided how long it will be. It will be a question of when I'm uh, slightly less underwater with everything else. Uh, so this is not a uh, a permanent goodbye. It is a see you around. You're dead to me. <laughs> You're <laughs> dead to me. <laughs> He's using the parlance of the industry on assignment. Indeed. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, we all totally understand. And as long as it's not a goodbye and it's a see you later, then, you know, we, we totally get it. We get it's it cool. and we love you. And yeah, we, we love you. And- How- however... What I will say is, Stephen Wilson, if you are listening, and I happen to be your favorite member of the podcast, <laughs> one way you can get me back on is to come on for a goddamn interview, Stephen. Or Gavin. Gavin, if you're listening, Anthony has a whole hour-long interview all lined up in his head for you know whenever you're willing to jump on our show. And so. of course, Ron and Russell now. So that's right. We're going to have all of them on yeah. in the interim. So. Yeah. So basically, Anthony's probably not going to go anywhere, but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you guys are listening and want to keep me around, come on for interviews. <laughs> right on. All right. Well, you know, we will be here whenever you are ready to come back. My friend, you will be missed. We love you. Very much. Thank you. And I will miss you guys. I know we'll still talk, right. but, you know, it's not quite it's not quite the same just chatting uh outside of the right. show. This tends to be a bit more focused. Exactly. All right. We will be back next week for episode number one oh one. And we have a very special guest lined up, and that is Catherine Yesky Taylor, who has a new book that's just about to come out. It's called She's a Badass Women in Rock Shaping Feminism. And I am super excited to talk to Kat about this book. She has interviews with a ton of really, really great people in this book. And I think it's going to be a really interesting interview. I'm super excited about it. Oh, I'm so stoked. I've read, I've started, like, I've gone through like half the book and it's so, it's just great. I I have so many questions for Kat. It's, I I can't wait. (laughs) (laughs) So make sure you're here next week when we talk to Catherine Yesky Taylor. Until then, Stephanie, why don't you kick us off with where people can find you? You can find me um, on Facebook at Stephanie Seymour Music. You can find me on Instagram at there underscore r underscore birds. And I have a website, thereourbirds.com. And uh, you can find me on Bandcamp under my name, Stephanie Seymour. And of course, on all these streaming platforms like Spotify and stuff like that. All right, Anthony. You can also find me on the Watchers in the Fourth Dimension podcast, watching our way through all of Doctor Who from 1963 until now. We are on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, um, and all of those other places wherever you like to get your podcasts. And you can also follow us on social media, at at watches 4d on uh facebook instagram or twitter or x or whatever the fuck it's called this week right and you can also find me personally on instagram at at englishman in atl rob how about you so you can find me on uh facebook or the twitter x planetary mess that is um also on post um under my name and uh, you can find me on the radio on Wednesday nights on KDHX 
88.1 FM in St. Louis, streaming at kdhx.org. So you can listen to that on the archive stream whenever you want. It's there for you to listen to um, whenever. Also, I host a show on Louder Than More Radio on Monday nights from 6 to 8 Greenwich Mean Time. And then um, that's 1 to 3 Eastern, 12 to 2 Central. Um, it's called Antics. You can listen to that there. And I'm also on the Weekend Justice Podcast for NeedCoffeeP.com. All right. And I've got a website that catches all of my nonsense in one place. And that is Cosmic Creative, K-O-Z-M-I-C creative.com. You can find my books. You can find my podcasts. And I don't know, maybe I'll put out a coloring book and you can find that there too. I don't know. So we will be back soon. Hope you'll stick around with us. Uh, until then, take care. Keep rocking on. And we'll see you soon. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.